Good morning. Hello. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over the summer at Old Trafford and preview the start of the Premier League season, which begins next week. Um, Paul, how have you been? It's been a summer off. Um, I decided to bring you back a little bit later in the day because of the transfer. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's been a long time since we had a chat, so how are you doing? Fine, thank you very much, Wayne. Not bad at all. It has Good. felt a little bit longer it has felt a little bit longer for some reason this, this summer. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I do I think it's because of the fact that United need a lot and they haven't done a lot. Um hmm. and then the players that they've got. I mean we're gonna get through all that anyway. Um a lot of people and players to talk about. If you're watching, please like and subscribe. Really appreciate that. Really helps us out. So please like the video, subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to get your comments and questions in. So we always try and get to as many as we can. If you're watching the replay, hello. Please still free for, feel free to comment because we do still reply to um, to the comments that we get. Um, first of all, before we begin on the men's team, I do want to give a congratulations to the Lionesses yesterday. Um, they won the European Championships, but obviously they've got a, a big Manchester United contingent in there who played a dominant role in the um, in the success. And good grief, I mean, I'm got to be completely honest, I'm not a massive watcher of women's football, but um, you, you know, you pay more attention to it as it goes along and you know, Alessia Russo scoring that goal in the semi-final was all over um, the press, as it should have been, because it was such a magnificent goal. Ella Toon in the final yesterday, scoring the goal that she did. Uh, just shades of Cantona, really, uh, to do it in a major final as well. So I have the confidence to do that in front of 87,000 people. Um, Mary Earps in goal, I hope I pronounced that right, it shows how little I know or watch the game really, but three Manchester United players and the goals by Russo and, and Tune in particular to win the European Championships against the dominant team in European history and to do it in front of a full Wembley Stadium. I mean, two things you've got to take from that to respect, aside from the fact that they did that achievement, was the first of all, they've grown up watching men's finals in that same stadium and wondered if they could do it, and they did. Now there's going to be a new generation of girls and women knowing that they can do that because it's been done. And that really could be one of the biggest uh, moment, moments really for the game in this country. And, you know, it's fantastic from a Manchester United perspective that the representative from the club represented them with the style in which the club's history is associated with. Russo and Toon, their goals were absolutely fantastic. And um, just huge congratulations to them. It, could be a massive watershed moment in in the sport, which we know has had its peaks and troughs in in history. And yeah, do you know I did watch some of the tournament, a little bit of it, and you know, yeah, all right, people are going to talk about the quality, but this is what these moments are for. Sometimes you need a big moment like this to get the imagination of the public, to get the quality of coaching to improve, to get the quality of players for the next generation. That's how it everything progresses. So the game in 20 or 30 years is going to be unrecognisable from what it is now. And these people, who these girls, these ladies who scored the goals and, and won the trophy yesterday were played the football that they did is just, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be standard bearers for future generations and um, just a great achievement. Um, we're here to talk about Manchester United's pre-season and the men's team. 
and that pre-season preparation concluded yesterday with a 1-1 draw in Eric Tenag's um, first Old Trafford game. We are going to talk about the players, as many as we can in, in specific, because there's so many to talk about. But first, the performances. It is hard to tell from pre-season, Paul, but you do have the evidence that you've got. United have played fairly organised football. They look slick in the front line. The combination between Rashford, Sancho and Martial has looked very good. We're pressing high. The movement is fluid and good. There are obvious concerns which we'll come on to and talk about. But from the preseason perspective, you know, people have talked about the performances being generally, but well, they couldn't get much worse than what they were back in the last season. But to start off with, we've got a question from Richard, one of our listeners and viewers, who asks, What has pleased you most from Manchester United's preseason with Tenog? Is it the fact that he's put a disciplined stand down on there so he knows you know that he's the manager? He's he's very much gone in and sort of made a, a little stamp for himself. I personally think it's the only thing you can really say is to talk about what the managers try to implement, kind of implemented or is still trying to implement where other managers haven't done that. Um, so he said how he wants to do it. He's told the players exactly what he wants. We've seen allegedly the so-called rules that he has set out. Never been seen before. I think rules have always been there, but during my time at United, rules weren't written down. You knew exactly what the rules were. Yeah. First and foremost, you didn't have to have a bit of paper to tell you, you knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. Um, so when I look at it, what has been said, to, what people have been saying to me about performances for Manchester United, I would say they're definitely more organised. And I think we have said that a few times during pre-season or the early part of any new manager's tenure, you do see a difference. The only thing is, though, that we want to see the difference right away through, you know, nine nine months of a season. There's going to be bits when, times, I should say, when things kind of go low. But you still want to see an organised team, not a discontent team, discontented team, I should say, people waving arms at each other, people disrespecting each other on on the field of play. So there's still a long way for United to go. A pre-season was never going to pull the wall over anyone's eyes. Mm. For any, any real support, wasn't ever going to take it all in as gospel, and this is going to be it. You just mentioned something there about the front three. The proof starts at the weekend. You know, the front three in a game like that, can they go up against, you know, go up against a Brighton side and go and perform in the same manner with the same fire in their belly? And if things do go wrong for them, have they got enough about them to still want to carry on and still be willing to try the right things, but be understand that it might not work and go and try it again? They're all the little things that we've seen with United over more so last season, but we have seen that where players have just theory gone and hit them because they've just made mistakes and they don't want to don't want to make any more. And we've got to remember this was the Brighton side last season at the back end of it as such, who should have in theory got something from the game. They gave United goals in that game at Old Trafford. I think this time it's going to be a little bit different. It's the start of the season, so the, the fire in the belly is a little bit different. Yeah, we'll get on to the, the forthcoming games in a moment. I want to talk about the, the concerns that we've got, because like we said, it's all well and good saying the philosophy of the manager is good, but what looks good in pre-season can be mopped by December. You know, the first things that were shown of the, like after two days of pre-season training back in Manchester were videos of Ten Hag 
running drills and you know, them up for any manager and they look impressive. But it's whether or not, you know, if the players don't respond to it when it comes to the performances, those same videos are going to come out in like December or the end of season going, oh, what, what was he trying to do? Because it'll look nonsense. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the point. The point is that really the quality of the players still um, still counts for a lot. And the same questions that are going to be asked are the questions like, is Dallo still a good enough fullback? Is that midfield strong enough? Can Malassia step up? Because it's a big step up for him. Can Maguire adjust to the right side of the defence? That's where he's been playing. And I know you were championing for that. Whether or not he's good enough at all is a different question. But whether whether or not he can adjust there, can we really believe, like you said, you just said it there, can we believe that Martial can put in a consistent run of form? All of these questions were being asked, we've been asking him for a couple of years. So it's, it's all very well trusting the manager and saying, oh, he's going to do something. But these players have got to step up as well. And... Yeah, it's it's just a matter of waiting to see because really there's nothing else you can do apart from wait to see how that works. And preseason is one thing you've said it before. All the different managers, apart. I mean, I, I was on a, a different podcast a few weeks ago and I mentioned this. Like, there's no hard pass rule with preseason apart from if you start poorly in preseason, you generally carry that on into season. If you start well in preseason, it doesn't matter. You know, when you get on to starting the the actual football, like might not necessarily count for much so it's a very difficult um, thing to assess and so we're a few games into it and to be fair you don't want we've never been a podcast we know you've never been like this to the person anyway that you're going to make these kind of judgments absolute judgments on transformations a few games in i mean van gaal's first preseason looked amazing the way that they were moving the ball but after 45 minutes of his first game he was changing the system Mourinho, you always knew what you were going to get Solskjaer in fits and starts looked really good so we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, I want to talk about some of the players. Obviously, we've signed three players so far. Lissandro Martinez, uh, Malassia and Eriksson, they've come in. Martinez, the big thing that they've been talking about um, talking about with him is his height, 5'9". Um, you, as a shorter centre-off, you're the perfect person to talk about this. It's really, I mean... <coughs> You can ask the question, and it's a fair question. Does it does it really matter in this situation? But what it comes down to, really, Paul, surely, is a matter of quality, defending, timing, and positional intelligence, right? Those are the three key things for a defender who's not as tall as someone else. So as long as he's got those three things, then he should be fine, right? And he, in fact, he should be a, a great addition to that back line. Yeah, um, without a doubt. But I think it would have been... A bigger worry if we were talking about him maybe being a centre-half in the 80s yeah. when the game was a bit different. It would have been a big difference. It would have been a, sorry, a talking point if Manchester United was sitting there in the first or second division. Um, and to be honest, two of the best centre-halves there's ever been in, say, world football is Carlovado and Baresi. Yeah. Two centre-halves who weren't much bigger than that. I played at centre-half for four years at um, Queen's Park Rangers centre half sweeper and a man marker in the middle. I only become a fullback again um, when I come to Manchester United. So it's quite embarrassing. And it sums up the media in general, the written press and the um, the TV stuff is it's the only fault they could find with him. Yeah. They didn't talk about him as a footballer. Yeah. So that says a lot. He's a good footballer. So it, it doesn't make much sense, to be honest, really. He's been doing a good job in the Dutch league. And how often have you got to worry about the ball in the air 
And as you mentioned at the top of it, positional, positional sense of timing doesn't matter if you're six foot six. If you haven't got positional sense and timing, someone five foot eight, five foot nine can beat you in the air quite easily. And yeah. we've seen that. We've seen that many a times. We've seen Harry, Harry Maguire caught on his heels and people have come across the front of him because they've timed their runs. They've read something. So height, it gives you a presence. It gives some somebody an area where they go, of course, he's tall. I'm not going to hit that area of a cross or a throw in. Or, but it's about, it's about in position and how you sort that out. So that's enough in conversation. No one's questioned his football and ability in that position. And that's the positive that should be taken from that. Yeah, his range of passing, by the way, um, looks incredible. And you know, if let's get it right, if he's got good timing and positional intelligence, then he'll be an upgrade on the last two Argentinian left-footed defenders that we had. So that's the mm. main thing. And you know, his quality on the ball, like you said, it can't be questioned. Um, he's a he's a great footballer, great use of the ball, and someone who can carry the ball out of the back line and join in the play. Which you know we've. People have given Maguire that reputation, but arguably Lindelof's been better at doing that. It's going to be very interesting to see how Ten Hag settles on that defence because you would imagine um, Martinez is going to start there. And, and to be fair, when Martinez played yesterday, um, he looked all right. Obviously, it's his first few minutes in the United shirt. He, he, the best thing you can say with some players sometimes is that they don't look flashy. They just look like they're doing the business. And, um, yeah. Uh, Richard makes a comment about Villa. They had a goalie called Stefan Posma, six foot seven. They still like lots of goals in. Yeah, exactly. You know that's exactly right. And just because Peter Crouch was six foot seven, again, he didn't make him the world's best centre forward for crosses. Um, he was. I'm not saying he wasn't a great centre forward. I'm just saying that he, he wasn't. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily equate to the same kind of thing. Um, the other two signings that have come in, Malassia and Eriksson. Malassia's looked very good. Um, looks like he's adapted. Um, the t- natural temptation because of his build is to say that he's a little bit reminiscent of Evera, but obviously it's a big step up for him, so we'll wait to see. He looks very ambitious and comfortable on the ball. That's a good thing. He's really good at moving. I actually say, in a way, the way that he moves, and this is probably um, really something for the older viewers and listeners, he, the way that he moves reminds me a little bit of Arthur Alderson, <laughs> funnily enough. It, like The way that he moves in positionally into the box, because Alderson would join in the play. He's really good at actually coming in and joining the play, so we'll see how that works. Better doing that than Shaw is. Um, but the other one that I do want to ask you about, because um, I think we'll wait and see with Malassia, is Ericsson, because obviously this was a massive um, signing in terms of profile, in, in terms of the fact that he had his problems last year. He was available on a free transfer. United, the medical took some time because of what, what he's been through. Um, and he's coming to the side and immediately, a little bit like when Fernandez was first signed, it's not necessarily that he's pulling any trees up, although he's looking magnificent, but when you look at a midfielder fit for purpose, playing passes in the, a midfielder in that area should be passing and not you know, dallying on the ball or anything, it makes such a profound difference to the economy of United's play. And Ericsson's quality has never been in doubt Um do you think that was a the typical no-brainer of a signing? Free transfer, he's there. We've lost a lot of experience. He's got loads of Premier League experience. He, he's shown that he came that he's capable of playing in the Premier League. I mean, pretty much the best midfielder on the park when Brentford played us at Old Trafford. Um yeah, no brainer for you. Do you think that's a smart signing? 
Oh, without a doubt. A few people come in and question. It seems like when it does come to Manchester United and they go and sign like someone like Ericsson, it's always it's his age, it's the wrong sign and they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. But at the moment, United are nowhere near the levels that a Manchester United team should be. It's not yeah. right at all. When you when you look at what they're competing for, they're not competing for enough enough the right trophies because they're not they haven't been strong enough over recent seasons. So they're building towards it, and you can't just suddenly go out and buy it all. So you need someone who's coming who can just add that bit, and you can take it a next step, next step after him. You can progress after him, and I think Ericsson, and the one that sold it, is because of the fact of what he done for Brentford. He changed Brentford's fortune because. I always fancied Brentford to start. I've seen him in the Championship. He comes up virtually the same players. Great start to last season. And then they found themselves in a difficult position. They lost they lost a few key players. And all of a sudden, their centre-forward suddenly was dropping back in the midfield. And they had to fill that berth because they was losing an edge. They went and brought in Ericsson. Great work. The work was made easier because of the Danish connection with the club. So Ericsson coming in. Everything fitted perfectly, but he made he transformed that team into a very difficult team to beat, especially at home. So then you could see he's still ready and still can play in the Premier League, and you could still see what he could do with football, not being disrespectful, but playing with lesser standard players and what he did at Spurs and Inter Milan, yeah. and his national and his national team. So what what difference can he make to a Manchester United team who have got very good players? Some players have been playing with their head stuck in places they shouldn't be. Some players haven't been showing enough desire to want to play, but there's still a few who want to play. Ericsson is going to go and liven them up because he's going to be giving them ball in areas and putting the onus on them to deliver. So it's a step forward for Manchester United signing someone like Ericsson. How do you follow that on? Someone internally might start picking up something and start adding something to their game that's always been there. That bravery to to play those balls when they've got the technique but haven't got the bravery to do it. Mm. Or you can bring someone in to fill that berth, but you're giving yourself a bit of time, a little bit of more kind of giving yourself more space to actually to find someone rather than rushing in and hoping it's going to work. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think such a smart signing. You made such a good point there about the situation that Brentford were in, and it is, in terms of mentality, a fairly similar situation to United. They're a team who were struggling in terms of confidence, the momentum and everything like that, so it's a really good, really smart signing as far as I'm concerned, and, and the little bits I've seen of him. So the first five minutes he came on uh, for us against Atletico Madrid, he looked very, very different to I, I just think he's a more proactive midfielder than Pogba, for example. I think he was a, a better Premier League midfielder than Pogba. He's a really smart replacement for him. Hmm. Um, I've got commenting from Rani and Moses. Great chat guys. Going on Heaton's comments were on the presence of Martinez. It says more about him than what we saw in Glinton yesterday. Seems a better bowler than the other centre backs for sure. Yeah that's what I, yeah, I think he's a better player at bringing the ball out without a question and it'll be interesting to see. Um, there are a couple of questions about the players who are in the squad who might be moving on. Um, the younger players I'll start off with, everyone's going to want us to talk about Ronaldo and De Jong, but we'll get there. 
Um, I want to talk, we've been asked a question by Okmar about Laird, Ethan Laird. You saw him play a little bit last season. He came on yesterday, he played, I think he started yesterday, and he actually played really well bombing down the wing. Um, and he looked quite confident moving. So he was, he, I think he even tried a shot at one point, um, which shows you his confidence and, and the sort of license he's been given to express that confidence as well. Um, do you think, from what you've seen of Laird, or his current position in the team, that he's a good option for a backup right back, that he's in rotation for that now, or do you think that there's another loan in him that he needs before he's ready for that step? I've saw him play, saw him play a couple of games over, over the season, both in the Championship, of course, one for Swansea. Um, is he ready? We don't know until you actually put him in there. It's all yeah. well and good saying another loan in the Championship. Maybe he's done his time away, and maybe now he's going to be playing with opportunity to play with better players who can bring up more in his game. Yeah, and loans can go loans. You can't you can't dismiss loans, but loans can go a little bit too long, and all of a sudden the player starts losing losing that little bit of heart, doesn't know where his home is, and feels unwanted. So if I was someone like Laird now, I would look at it and I'd look at Dallow and I'd say I'd be saying to myself, I'm better than him. I've done my time. Um, I've done all the, you know, the the apprentice work, this the scholarship work, is what they call it now. I've, I've kind of gone away and I've learnt, got to know the job even better, playing against more, you know, games with more repetitive games where people are at me, at me to ch- check out my defending. When I've attacked, I've had to cut through more lines than what I normally do in the Premier League because everything's a lot quicker and sharper. Quality isn't there, which we know on a regular basis as well it is in the Premier League, but you don't, you get less time to play in a championship because players work harder on a more regular basis. Um, the, the pattern of play is absolutely sculptured and they do not really change it. You know, it's technically, when, when you talk about formation tactics, it's seriously rigid in a championship and below. So any way you can preserve your place in a league or go and t- challenge to get promoted. So he's, he's ready. So I personally think Dallo can't be seen as that, that place is his own because he hasn't earned the place, really. It's been quite open. It's been very much open. It's a position which is ma- massively in doubt. And I think Dallo, so I think... um. I think the lad really does need an opportunity to go in there and prove a prove a point. He shouldn't be going out and loan now. He's he's had you know he's had a good loan period, and I think he's proved proved himself ready to go and grab it if Dallow doesn't deliver or gets injured. Yeah, Garnacho's another. He started yesterday and he was unbelievable. He has a directness about him. Um, some I can't remember who said it. I think it was Dan, one of our regular viewers and listeners. He said that he, he reminded him a little bit of Kanchelskis. But like a, a rusty Kanchelskis, do you know what I mean? Like so the way that I looked at it, obviously didn't have the polish of him. The way in which he runs with the ball, and he has that um, ability where you think you've tackled him, but he's still got the ball. He's really good like that, um, and he had the confidence and arrogance to be trying that repeatedly, and the crowd were getting behind it. And you don't often see that in players, you know, the, the players who actually get the the crowd off the seats. I remember when Yanazai first broke into the side, there was something. You know, like he had that sort of like impetus where you thought, oh, he's going to do something, and that's the problem that you've got with a player like this is that he obviously shows enough talent, enough capability, and confidence to step up to the level and play in the senior side, but you don't want to burn him out. And obviously, we are, we do have 
players in the front line, even though we probably need another striker, we do have wide players. And I think, just personally speaking, I think it'd be a good opportunity for him to um, stay around the squad, don't have a loan away, stay around the squad because he's good enough to be in there as long as he gets the minutes, bring him on as a subbing games, bring him on, um, definitely give him starts in the Europa League and the Cup games. Um and then the other one is a Langer pull. And we do the Friday podcast with Lee Lawrence and Phil Marsh. So they, as, as young players who came through, might be in a better position to talk about this. But I still want your opinion. So a Langer, there's talk that he might go on a loan or a, a little a little. <coughs> he obviously came into the first team last season. He, he did quite well, but a lot of people were talking about you know how, how good he actually is. He doesn't have a great first touch. And they wonder how he can elevate how, how we can move forward, but I still think that if you move, if he goes away on loan, like you said earlier about Led, if he goes away on loan, you're basically killing his development. Not for him in terms of like he might develop and he might do good things, but you're killing his career at the club because you're basically saying at that point he's lost all that momentum. It's very difficult to come back and get it. And for Led and Delanger, it's like their chances now, right? Would you say, would you agree with that? I mean, if Delanger goes away, you're pretty much saying he's he's not going to come back. You're going to be moving him on at some point. Well, I think there's so many wide players now, Wayne. You just wonder, you know, how can you have so many, so many, you know, so many just sitting there when Manchester United are lacking really something guaranteed through the middle of the front three. That's where they're lacking. It's at the moment, it's a kind of all canny can't he? Well, that's what everyone said about Martial anyway. And it is more he can't rather than he can so I look at Ilanga and I think when he started, <clears throat> I thought he was really, really good. And he had to, he added something. He added that directness. He just went at people. Then after a while, as the team started going on under the um under the previous whatever whatever we can call him as a manager, the the part-time manager, he started getting bad habits. He started yeah. getting a little bit arrogant in the way he played. He seemed like he you suddenly thought he played playing like somebody who'd been there, he'd done a season or even more. Just his his attitude, he was starting to throw himself to the floor. Every time he got tackled, he was showing petulance. And it wasn't really what I would expect from a young player coming through. And and I won't even mention the names, but I played with young players coming through at United. And I saw they when they reacted, when they were in the first team, they wouldn't they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. The way Ilanga was, and it seemed like he's suddenly thought, "Here I am, I've done it." So I'm looking at him, and I think to myself, "Is it? A, is it? A, it's not. Is it that not not a bad idea for him to maybe go out and really go out and see what the world's like a little bit in football, away from Manchester United, and you know, just see maybe different aspects of a training ground and the." personality of the people who go to those grounds rather than turn up at a nice Carrington in a nice car and just understanding a little bit more about football, about, you know, the mentality of players around. And that's mm. my way, that's the way I look at him. But I look under the, the present manager and maybe he can get him, to, maybe he, the way he is and the young players that he has brought through at Ajax and their mentality when they go into the IX team, maybe he could teach them something there, but it's, it's, I just don't think he'll get the minutes is what he got in the last third of last season where he got a, he got a lot of time. At one point, I remember talking to you saying, I 
can't believe that he's left it. He, he's been left out out of the team, and he was playing Rashford in front of him because yeah. of the fact of how direct he was yeah. and the way he played and what he showed. But he lost that last season. He went too long, and he started believing the hype. Too many people were talking in his ear, and he was taking too much in rather than holding a little bit back, saying, "I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep doing it." Um, yeah. So it's just a shame, really, that he he tailed off a bit. And there is something about him which is really good, but there's the other side of it where I think he needs to learn a bit, whether it's at Manchester United or going out on loan, only, only the club knows. Yeah. Um, one player who doesn't have to learn, but sometimes you feel like he does, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, that's been the headline news this summer. Um, reportedly demanding a move to a Champions League club. Um, the club's party line is basically, and they're sticking to it, is that he had a family emergency and he's not for sale. Um, there is another line informally coming out of the club that they are willing to listen to offers, but they're just not going to put him up for sale. George Mendes wants them to name a price and they don't want to do that because it, he's putting him up for sale. They He basically wants a price. He, he believes he's got offers for him. Um, there's some talk that the club were unhappy with the timing of Ronaldo pulling out of the tour because all of the marketing was based around him, and also it was like hours before the kit launch as well, which you know was all kind of nonsense. Um, but it has brought into view the, the bigger question of if it's worth persevering at this point. It's obvious that there's no long term plan building around him since 37, nearly 38. You're not going to build for the next generation around him. But it's also fair to say he's the best current striker that we've got. He's still a fantastic player. Um, and the standards that he has are second to none. He's, he's a pure headline act. Um, it's very. It's, it's not a straightforward one. There's a, a lot of an emotional connection to, for a lot of people who still love Ronaldo. A lot of people who've been had their feelings soured by this, this summer, the incidents of this summer, reminiscent of the two, at least two summers where he tried to tried to engineer an exit before uh, for a new generation who aren't familiar with that, <laughs> don't really like it. Um, where do you stand on Ronaldo? I, I think a lot of people are resigned to, to him going, um, but then again, the club kind of holds some power in this situation. But, do, I mean, in terms of what would be best for the club at this moment in time, what, what do you think um, would be the best outcome? Well, I mean, initially he was brought as a he was brought as a marketing tool, wasn't he? That's what he's bought for. He was bought as a, a duvet by the owners of the club to cover over everything and say, look, yeah, I will give you this big duvet and it's Christian Christian Ronaldo and straight away everyone just went, oh, oh, that would do nicely. A few felt a little bit suffocated by it and could actually know, just knew what was going on, knew what it was about. While well, I think there was a vast majority who got caught up under the duvet and didn't really see, couldn't get out to actually see what was really going on. And there it is now. It comes out. He said his bit. He says he wants Champions League football. Um, that's, that's a big ego to come out and say that at that age that you want it. When you look at the clubs that are in it, the clubs that he wants to go to, there's clubs still looking forward. They're not in Manchester United position. Yeah. So they don't, they don't want to bring in a 37-year-old. You know, they, the clubs he wants to go to still believe they can win the Champions League, so they're not going to take on Ronaldo. So that's that's an incredible massage of the ego to, to demand something like that. And it, it certainly would put off some clubs. It would definitely put off players who are at those clubs about him coming now. 
and the way that he's throwing themselves at the big club. But if you're a Manchester United fan, I think the ones who want to see United back where they should be, and that's competing to win um, Premier Leagues and Champions League, you want him to go. You want him to go now because you know he doesn't want to be there. You will, you know, you don't, you will not ever forget what he'd done for the club. But he, you know, this is the club is where he made his name. You will remember about when he he tried to leave, which was kind of swept away a bit. It wasn't out there large as it was now. He's made it. He's made it obvious that he wants to go. In some way, I think for the sake of the club and the most important people within the club, but it's, it's the players. I don't think they really need him around there at the moment because he isn't going to be positive. Um, and if it goes past deadline day and he's still there, then it's going to cause a big, big problem. Lukaku was pushed out in a way because he was a little bit poisonous. He wasn't the most um, likable person around the dressing room at the time when he made it obvious that he was, get, you know, <clears throat> he wanted to go. Um, so I think they have to, you have to, you know, be the same with him. You have to put sentiment away now. Sentiment will cost you dearly. And the biggest thing it will cost Manchester United if he's still at that at the football club after the start of the season and after deadline day. And it will affect him because the moment it's felt that it's got to be left out, I don't think he's going to take to that too well. And he's the kind of person who will show everything if it isn't going his way. Yeah. Um, strong words there, Paul. And um yeah, Richard says it looks to me like Ronnie's made a rod for his own back with this one. And yeah, I, I think there's been there's certainly some truth to the aspect that they've been trying to hop him around the different European clubs and no one, like you said, no one who's got serious ambitions are going. I mean, you've got an argument for Bayern Munich, but they're not gonna alter the structure for him. You know, they've lost Lewandowski, well, obviously into that role if, if he signed for them, but they don't want him. They don't want him. So where else is he gonna go? He's he's literally looking at Clubs who don't even want, they know that they don't have any ambitions of winning, but just because they're in it. So he he wants to sacrifice, not sacrifice, he basically wants those six group games, is what he's saying. He wants those six group games to see if he can add the goals. And and really, I don't know if someone's looking at this like objectively and saying, there's, he's 15 goals in front of Messi. And... I don't see Messi scoring 15 goals in the Champions League this season. I don't see him scoring 15 in the next two Champions League seasons. I don't know what his numbers were last season. I don't think they were that high. And he's getting on as well. So you're not going to have that amount of goals from one player. I don't, well, you from one player, sure, but not from those at this this time in their career. So I don't know why he's it's so anxious to, to be throwing that. But it, Kind of I think we can, Wayne. I think we can say it. And it, some people, I think, really, if you're not saying it out loud, you're saying it in your head. But the fact is, he's selfish. Oh yeah, yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't want to be beaten. He wants, and it is about I want. So if you're signing him, if he comes to your team as a player, and you and you know exactly why he wants to come to you, he wants to come just to extend and, sc- and play. And virtually just want to score goals to make sure that. Messi can't get anywhere near him. And that's not really what you want. You want someone who's coming to help your team win games of football, not somebody who's going to shoot on sight. And the moment you don't give him the ball, when in theory you're in a better position, but you don't give it to him, him cussing you off. Mm. So it's not really so. He's not selling himself to, he's not selling himself to, to you know, well, sorry, that's not that. He's not respecting his fellow pros in the manner in which, it's coming out that the reason why he wants to join the team. 
That's that's the thing. He wants if he wants to leave Manchester, leave Manchester. I need to move on. I want yeah. to go, but it doesn't. Oh, I want to play. I want. Um, I want to play Champions League football. I mean, where's it come about? You know, I didn't sign for Manchester United because all of a sudden going, oh, I want to play in a European Cup. <laughs> you know, or I, I didn't sign for Manchester United because I wanted to win a football league. I signed for Manchester United because it was Manchester United. Yeah. Never, those things never popped out in my head. And that's the kind of people we're, we're breeding now in football. You speak to kids, I want to play in the Champions League. Well, do you want to play for your country, though? They forget, that's little, you know, it's all been forgotten. It's just we're highlighting so much and it's it's affecting players. And we're virtually bringing, bringing into the world of football, we're bringing players with a wrong mentality. Yeah. Um, Richard says Messi scored six goals for PSG all last season. Andy says, well said, Paul. Completely agree with what Paul said. And just a one-word answer on this, Paul. Richard says, was that game yesterday Ronnie's last for United? Um, what do you think? Oh, next time, can Richard come in with an even stronger leading question? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we have to... I think we're going to be serious and say, is he going to start? Is he going to start the first game in the Premier League at home against Brighton? If he does, it sends out the wrong message. Yeah. He hasn't done a pre-season with the lads. Yeah. Now, if you if you've done all that work, all that travel, and some of those players there, the ones who are sitting around at the moment, and you're in the bitter and twisted club at the start of the season, as they're all, as they're always there the bitter and twisted club at the start of the season because you haven't been prominent with the first team. And all of a sudden, he comes back after saying family reasons, he's had to do this. You think, so if he hasn't done the work, he hasn't sweated and, you know, given blood everything, what we've done over at Carrington, feeling like, you know, we're on on the verge of something happening bad to our bodies because we've run so far or pushed so many weights. But he can start to say, start the new season, I think the manager is setting himself up if he goes and does that because I'm I'm here and I, I would be annoyed if he started the season. I'd be seriously annoyed because he just hasn't done the work. He might everyone goes, oh but he keeps himself fit, he looks after himself. Sorry, the work you do at home is not the same when you're doing it in real when you're doing it in real football work. When yeah. it's two against two, three against threes, you're not doing the same work as what you do on your own. It's absolutely impossible to gauge that, to gauge, as they always say, taking a penalty in your back garden is a lot easier than taking it in front of 100,000 people. Yeah, and you know what? And we are in a new era. I I would be the first to say we should have moved Martial on, but he's there, he's put in the yards, he, he's been there all through pre-season and he's played well. You've got to give him that chance to start. Um, I'm completely with you. Oh, well, sorry, Wayne, but I'm sorry about in there. Well, let me, that is the point, Martial. If he's if he has got Martial on the right side, and cool, this would be a surprise if Martial smiles. By the way, that'd be incredible. But if he's got him on the right side, there's no better way to lose him a hundred percent by going to do that to him. The man had to give up his shirt, didn't he, for Ibrahimovic? Yeah, yeah. He had to, he had to do that. So I don't know whether that was the start of it. That could because players might in that the way they are nowadays, but. Don't you can't go and do that to him now. If you if you if he's onside now, Martial, and a lot of the fans will be this way, you are hundred percent going to lose him if he does not start against Brighton at home. You will lose him. Yeah, 
No, and we look, I mean, I hope that anyone who's watching or listening to this will understand our objectivity with this because we've both been critical of Martial in the past. So, yeah, I think that shows that, like, you know, we, we wanted mm. to get that chance. Um, I'm not going to talk about Ronnie anymore, but I'm going to get these comments uh, in there. When he walked out on the pitch yesterday, he had a face like a slapped bum, um, which I agree with definitely. Patrick, morning, Patrick, I'll be well after the summer. Uh, morning, guys. Most frustrating, though, Ronaldo. Is our executive sit on the issue for weeks? Reality is, he wants to go. So get new forward recruiting ASAP and stop wasting time. They knew from about April or May they needed to sign some forwards, regardless of Ronaldo. Martial was as good as gone at the time. Now he's our central striking up. Yep, completely agree. We're in a position there. Another one where you could say that we've been dragging our heels and eggs have been put all in one basket. It's Frankie de Jong of Barcelona. Um, this is dragged on. Um, it's very clear a lot of people want to criticise the United change the hierarchy there, but it's very clear that this is a Barcelona issue. Um, it comes down to the registration of players and the wage issue that they've got. So they've got all this money that's been put into the club. And there's still hundreds of millions of pounds in debt, um, hundreds of millions of euros in debt. And the issue that they've got is that, all right, they can sign all these players but they can't register them unless they get the wages down. Um, and that's where Frankie de Jong comes in, where, um, where they're basically trying to engineer him to exit the club. And he doesn't want to go because um, during COVID, he agreed a, a deferration, a deferral, deferration, sound American, adding Asian onto words. He, he agreed a deferral of his wages where he'd accept a lower amount now for a higher amount in the future. And he believes that he's owed this amount of money, which he's fairly entitled to do, and that's why the deal has dragged on as long as it has. A game of cat and mouse. Basically, I'm not going to flinch from my position. Obviously, Frankie de Jong, I mean, they get 300 grand a week, but 30 million <coughs> a hell of a lot of money. Or oh, 17 million, however much it is, it's still a heavy, it's a lottery win even for a footballer. So, for the sake of waiting five weeks, or not be forced out of the club where he wants to play, he's going to sit and wait until they actually force him and give him the money that he that he's earned through through playing for them. Now, I've heard, and I could not be right, so don't hold me to account on this, but I heard the club have set um, a deadline of today or tomorrow to sort out the transfer with Barcelona. They set that, club, uh, they set that deadline with Barcelona, and that United are actually willing to compromise on the money owed to him by basically paying an increase of his signing on fee to make up the difference. And that's the solution that they're going to put to Barcelona as long as it gets it moving quickly um, or they're going to move on and, and look for a different, a different solution in the midfield. The, the problem that, um, that they've got is that apparently De Jong is the only name that... Um, that 10 August put forward because he's got all the specialist attributes that he wants to play in that number, uh, the, the old in midfield role to sort of basically set the tone of the entire pattern of play. Um, it has dragged on, Paul. I don't really think it's... I, I personally wouldn't blame the Arnold and Merso if this, wasn't, if this doesn't come off because it's obviously the manager's primary target. is the one that he's wanted and they've chased him for that reason. Where did you stand on it? Because it's a complete mess. I mean, how, how can a transfer that's only really been mooted since May have become so tedious? 
as, as tedious as this, it's unbelievable. Uh, where I mean, are the club? Are you? Do you think it's right that Ten Hag's dragged his heels on it with Leno in in so much that he said, "This is the player I want." He's obviously he must have had conversations with him. They they know that he's willing to come to United because he's too close to him for that to not be true. Do you think that United have handled this in the right way? As long as they, I mean, well, I guess it depends on whether they get the player over the line, really. But um, what do you make on it? Cause it's been a, a saga of the summer. I think we have to say, at least it shows that the manager's got a bit of strength and they've kept in there rather than having to walk away. I've had that too many times or reading rumours about players that manager says he wanted and he wasn't allowed. Marino couldn't stop naming players. I didn't know whether he's doing it just for coverage or whether, you know, whether or not it was true, but he's standing by it. He's, he's putting everything, he's put all his eggs in, into the basket. This player can make a difference. So when he does, if it, if an, if it does happen, then there's going to be a, Everything's going to be looking at him, and he's got to hit the ground at 200 miles an hour. Um, but I would say if he believes that he needs that, then, yeah, you know, stick by it. Everything suggests to me the player wants to come. Yeah. As you mentioned, the ma- otherwise the manager, he was going to end up with egg on his face. Yeah. He knows he wants to come, so he, he the players mostly said he wants to come. But for what he's going to sign, and some people say it, <clears throat> as I would in certain ways, you'll say, what difference is that going to make to him what he's getting already? But it's been promised to him. He's given, he, he gave up on the condition that someone said they would, they would cover that back to him after he made. He just put him, did that to keep everything right for that football club. And, you know, and all his other teammates mostly done deferrals as well. So he followed it. So the club has said they're going to do this. They haven't followed through. It's a disgrace with Barcelona, the way they've done it now. And for a team that I think everyone adored because of their football, and they've they've lost a lot of people, and what they've gone, the way they've gone and done things, monetary wise, you know. So we can't pay you, but we're going to go and get this player and get that players. There's a lot of scratching, lot of scratching head going at the moment. But I I personally think it is going to happen. It will happen because no one else has really been talking. Um, the press is trying to throw so many names up. But, is, you know, it's one-way traffic, I think, as the manager's concerned. And for every Manchester United fan, I think the real harder ones, they want him to come because they know there is a massive weakness in that area of the field. And to get someone who's been there and done it and played in a big game for club and country, it's important for United, for them to start really building towards something. They need him in there because they can't, they can't carry on as they have done over the previous season because there'll be a lot of disillusioned people in after five games yeah absolutely um could not agree more and i do think it is it's a good indication of the manager pushing for him um okay let's move on to brighton then the premier league starts on sunday um they, this is a team under graham potter who i've got better over the last few years to the point where they were like you said earlier they were out playing as old Trafford before they lost a man to a red card um, and then united got absolutely annihilated down at brighton at the end of the season four nil um one of, I don't think it's an overstatement, is it? One of the worst performances in the history of Manchester United for Nell <laughs> Brighton, the way that they looked. Um, supporters um, chanting, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Only two of those players who started that game have, have moved on, Matic and Mata. So <laughs> the other nine are still there and all the subs, are, apart from Cavani, who's obviously gone as well. So the chance, we've got to say as well, the chance were probably not aimed at Matic and Mata because they were actually playing quite well at the end of the season. So um, there's a massive, massive um, 
statement that needs to be made from the players. And you look at it from Brighton's perspective, or United's perspective as, as facing Brighton, Brighton is a team with a profile and budget that United should be dealing with comfortably. So really, the difference in, in those games last season was coaching and attitude as players. In that respect, it makes this game a very good first test for Ten Hag, doesn't it? Because it's definitely a test in terms of quality. It's definitely a test in terms of attitude and coaching ability. They've lost Bissouma, so they're not going to have quite the dominant factor in midfield that they had. But they're still very good on the ball. They didn't have Bissouma all the time, so they, and they've always been a very good passing midfielder. They're in midfield that likes to let the opponent have the ball, and United aren't very good in midfield on the ball. Um, so that's where Brighton's strength is coming. Rather than it being like, obviously, we've got Liverpool coming up and we've got all these big games quite early on in the season, but Brighton at home, because of what happened last season and because of the fact that um, they're a so-called left team United should comfortably be dealing with, it's a very good first test for Ten Hag to have, isn't it? It certainly is, and you, you asked about a game. What about the Everton game at Goodison? Oh, yeah, we've had... We, we can fill the top mm. 10 with this, but... Um, yeah, yeah. interesting how, how many players have played in that Everton game, played at Brighton. Yeah. And got and got the same again, because that performance was awful um, at Goodison. Um, so, yeah, but going back to what you're saying about the game, the game is perfect in a certain way. It is, it is one. Brighton test every team. Just by the way they play, they test you. They test you when they've got the ball. Just by the fact of, just by the fact of way they keep the ball, they're progressive in what they try and do. They don't really overplay as such. They did try and do that with with ten men at Old Trafford, and that's what cost cost them in the end. They didn't really change. Even though on a counter attack, there was always still causing problems yeah. um, in the counter attack. But they, you know, and they've had their best ever top division finish last season as well. Finished the season really, really hot. So that's why it's a tester. Graham Potter's going to want to test himself against a 10 half. Because if I'm Graham Potter, you're asking yourself, is there any given time when I'm going to be mentioned for a top job? This is, this, what, I was going to say, this is his, basically, this is his big season where he puts that on yeah. the line, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and so he's he's got to do that. His achievements have got to come through the players who are out in the field for him. They've got to go and give what they gave in that last third of the season, but from the start of it, and really go and nail something down for him. Because at the moment in time, he's earning the right. When I see someone like Frank Frank Lampard getting a job at Everton, and he and he doesn't get a mention, I think to myself, what what are Everton thinking about really at this moment in time? So I'm looking forward to the Brighton game. I'm not 100 percent sure that I can actually see it because I'm trying to see if I can change a game that I've, I'm working on. I'm trying to see if I can change it. But I am looking forward to it. Just just for the fact of I do enjoy watching Brighton play. But more importantly, I just want to see how United start the season. You know, I don't care if they win 4-0 because I want to see where they are in six games time or when they yeah. play Liverpool. That's where you'll you be looking. What is the difference then? Not, not the first game of the season at home to Brighton because for me... I expect United to win that game, but then I would expect them to win it in a fashion that is a lot better than what I've seen in recent recent performances. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last question before we close out. A question from Ben. Um, and it needs a good thing for a season preview. If we get no more new players, so take it the squad as it is, 
and I don't know if Ben is including Ronaldo in that or not. Um, I don't think it really matters. But if, if we go into the season with this squad, what realistically can we expect or hope for in terms of where we'll finish? Um, fighting for a Champions League spot. Okay. That's as, for me, that's as good as it can be when you look at it, what he's got there. I'm trying to gauge how he's going to go defensively. We have to say that he's, kept, he's um, decided that Harry Maguire is still going to be captain, so Harry Maguire will play in the back four. Um, oh, saying that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he played a back three at Ajax. I couldn't tell you if he did. That might cater for the fact of Varane to play as well. The left side, obviously, is sorted by what he's, you know, but what he's brought in from he Ajax. Hasn't tried it. He hasn't tried the three-man defence in pre-season. Well, so. right, OK, so that's not going to happen then. So Varane's not going to start the season. That's going to be someone as well who's going to be a little bit unhappy after, you know, when he turns around and looks in his cabinet and says, I'm not playing regularly, what's going on here? If I'm Victor Lindelof, I would say, you, I'll be saying, I finished the most consistent centre-half last season. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not playing regular buying. You're going to keep buying there for another season because... I think he he shows by his facial expressions he's he's not happy. So there's a lot of players there. Jones is still there. So many centre half. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I think the full back, the left back area. I think we know who's going to play there. The right back area is opened up. Midfield it needs it. It needs something in there. It needs something adding to it. And it's about you know what's up top really, and can it make a difference and. At the moment, I would still like I'll still like to think he's going to go and get at least two new players in before before that deadline day. Yeah, um, big couple of weeks for United, and like you, more than results, it's general performances and how the team looks. Is I mean, I mean, obviously you need the results in the league. I'm not I'm not saying that they're not important, but this is a long term thing, and you've got to start. I mean, it, and again, you're not necessarily going to see the, the fruits of the labour after just a few weeks of pre season, um, especially with the same squad. But you do nonetheless look for um, improvements in terms of man management and um, squad adherence to tactics and stuff like that. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, we'll talk about the Brighton game next week. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a like and subscribe. Really appreciate that comment. Join in the comment section because we'll always reply to them afterwards. And um, if you're listening back on the audio podcast, please give us a review and subscription on the platform you're listening on. We will be back next week to um, talk about that United game against Brighton. Until then, um, stay safe, stay well. Thanks for listening and watching.